by providing their own safety patrols. My guests are Jack Frawley, President of Security Specialist Corporation, and Captain Robert Lures, Commander of the New York City Auxiliary Police Forces. You can find out how you can make your community a safer place to live. So join us Saturday at 6.30 for Inside New York. New York City took another drenching today with a record 1.06-inch rainfall this afternoon and evening breaking a 47-year-old record for the date. And the downpour caused more flooding on a lot of major arteries, knocked down electric power lines in a section of Jamaica, Queens, temporarily knocked out double E and double G subway service to Queens. Communist gunners have shelled two big United States installations in the northern part of South Vietnam, where American forces are being redeployed. In the Saturday morning Vietnam time shelling, Half a dozen Soviet-built 122-millimeter rockets struck the Da Nang area, which has come under fire several times this past week. Nine United States servicemen were wounded in the attack, in which four Vietnamese civilians were killed and three others were wounded. With food chains indicating that sharp increases in food prices, especially beef, are on the way, the Federal Price Commission is looking anxiously for a way to take some action to restrain the price increases. Price Commission expects to go into the problem of the increasing food prices at its next meeting Wednesday. The Commission could freeze prices or limit the cost that retailers can pass on to consumers, but a High Commission spokesman said that action would be taken only as a last resort. Roosevelt Raceway tonight, Daily Double, number 7, off-track betting letter G, Michael's Pride, and number 4, OTB letter D, Sturgis Hanover, and the feature, number 2, off-track betting letter B, Pammy Lobel. Stock market declined today in moderate trading. New York exchange volume, 13,010,000 shares. Losers ahead of gainers, 804 to 561, 361 unchanged. Dow Jones Industrials closed down 0.91. Transportation down 1.10. Utilities down 0.26. The price of an average big board common share lost 4 cents. At the American exchange, sales were 3,244,000 shares. Losers ahead of gainers. 471 to 393, 314 unchanged, the MX index down 0.01. Weather forecast for New York City and vicinity, cloudy tonight, chance of a few showers ending during the early morning hours, lows tonight in the low 60s, tomorrow partly cloudy, highs in the mid-70s. Fair and cooler tomorrow night and Sunday. Lows tomorrow night in the upper 50s, the highs on Sunday around 70. Current temperature, 68 degrees, humidity 93%. Wind south, 6 miles an hour. Barometer, 30.04 inches in rising, and the THI is 68. These highlights in the news at this hour. Influential Russian journalist says Soviet President Podgorny's visit to Hanoi is aimed at stopping hostilities to make possible new negotiations. Air Transport Association and Transworld Airline seek court action to block scheduled international airline pilot strike. Senator George McGovern releases his World War II military record to the press to counter John Burt Society charge that he had been reprimanded twice for cowardice. Clifford Irving and wife sentenced to prison terms fined $10,000 each for their roles in the Hughes biography hoax. That's the latest from the WR Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. Right now, Gene Shepard.
disturbing to the sight of a of a man apparently laughing at nothing. A person crying at nothing is easily understandable, because that's what most people cry at. But the idea for a man to <laughs> it reminds me of this guy in, in England, you know, he uh he rented himself a phone service, did you know? Hear about this guy? I mean, you know, it's uh, just he rented himself a phone service and uh, he put a couple of little signs up that says if you want to laugh, call this number. And uh, people did. And all he did was had a tape recorder playing this laughing record that laughed endlessly into the night on the telephone lines. And so many people called up that after three days, the phone company insisted that he cut the thing out because he was tying up half the phone lines night and day. People just listening to that record of this guy laughing. And, uh, in fact, he got a very serious reprimand from the British version of Ma Bell. And uh, the, he was put on notice. Any more hanky-panky like that with phones, and he was going to be in trouble. And, of course, here it is. Uh, you know, it's a Friday night, and uh, and I just, just feel it uh, coming on. I feel this great... Uh, uh, please, before we go any further, Herb, will you please, will you arrange my... Uh, uh, hold it there, and I'll give you the cue. It's time uh, for our weekly sports thing. Uh, every week at the same time, this concerned radio station brings you... A uh, little sports vignette. So please, sports vignette. Good evening, sport fans. Remember, it's not how you play the game, it's whether you win or not. And tonight, the sports department of this deeply concerned radio station brings you another salute to the champions of today. the thrill and all the excitement of human conflict and human defeat. In the arenas of the world, men are competing for the laurels of the championships. And just one week ago tonight, another world record was set, this time in Sydney, Australia. Down under, as they say. A superbly trained team of four men went into the arena just one week ago tonight. Tony D'Amico, Danny Signor, Frank Wasato, and John Boise. They marched into the arena and took on a long-standing world record. Forty-two seconds later, they were world champions. Forty-two seconds that set the world of sports on end. The superb team of Australians took away the world title, which was held by four magnificently trained athletes from Italy in the world's spaghetti-eating record. The four-man relay team. They devoured 100 yards in .42 seconds, a magnificent record previously unheard of in the sport. The previous record was 100 yards in 1 minute and 34 seconds. And this feat, by the way, was exhibited in the, by witness 
200 cheering spectators and television cameras in the Italian restaurant of Luigi's in Sydney, Australia. So tonight, this station salutes a championship. Men who strive for the best. Who dare to be extraordinary in an age of mediocrity. 100 yards of spaghetti in 0.42 seconds by a superbly trained team of four athletes. <clears throat> Not the heck did they put this on my show. They should put this on somebody else's. What do those guys do? They ate 100 yards of spaghetti. Now that's it is a genuine world record now. <laughs> And I, I'd love to see how, how uh, you know, the various techniques. Uh, for example, as you know, in a relay team, the first man always sets the pace. The second man is only expected to continue to keep the relay team in contention. The third man then moves forward and uh, gets the position set for what they call the final kick. And the fourth man, of course, is usually the fastest man with the, with the greatest final kick. And as he takes off on that last relay, you've seen relay teams. Well, I, I would love to see the various techniques. For example, there's the sucking technique. Now, I don't know whether this this was used. <laughs> That's probably the number two matter. Just kept them in the race. You know. And uh, can you see the last man coming down, charging, and the big clock's going, and the people are screaming. The last man is working on that last 12 yards, and the, and the, the championship is approaching. Now, I would love to see that on a wide, wide world of sports. You know, Krishanko, all the boys there, talking about the exciting moments. Now, you know, I'll tell you though, uh, you you can't uh, you can't put down the world of sports. It's you know summertime sports everywhere, and uh, I would like to salute uh, Gettysburg, the uh, school. You know, if the, you know this Gettysburg College, you've ever heard of the Gettysburg College? Well, I I was out there. I did a show there here a couple of seasons past, and Gettysburg College rarely gets talked about. But uh, we have a note here. It says, Mr. Shepard, I was impressed by your documentary series on the cockroach. You deserve whatever an Emmy or an Oscar is in radio. I was, uh, well, actually, in, in radio, we award the backhand. Uh, it was particularly the back of the hand, actually. Usually comes from the program department. Uh, I was uh, particularly warmed in the cockles of my heart. Yeah, you get this little bronze hand. You only get the back part of it, see. Prepared to give you one across the mouth. <laughs> you dare to rise above mediocrity, I'll show you. You. It was particularly warming in the cockles of my heart because back when I was in Gettysburg, I had the reputation of being the Eddie Arcaro or the Al Unser of roach racing. The breeding, training, and racing of roaches was a national pastime or pastime <laughs> at Gettysburg, uh, mainly because we were so far out in the boonies, there was so little else to do, and the sex life was dormant there, and also because the students would bet on anything, anything that moved or that just sat there. Every Thursday night was race night, mainly because we would blow the winnings on the ponies at Charlestown on Friday nights. All week long, we would groom our stables, which were jars in our dorm rooms, and scour the halls for new talent. No problem. <laughs> at Gettysburg, he says. <laughs> he says the dorms, in fact, were jammed with them. And then on Thursdays, the guys would go down to the dorm lounge, and hundreds of them come into the lounge to watch the great races on Thursday night to match their roses on straight line and circular course. 
Now, you know, that's two types of racing. Uh, it's, that's right. The circle is the first roach to go from the center to the periphery wins. And, of course, straight line is what it seems. You know, you have a line here and a line there. The one that gets to the other end of the room quick as takes the dough. It's all done for money. Just as with fighting tops and fighting, uh, uh, fighting uh, uh, birds and, and, and the racing cars, every guy painted his roaches in his own colors. Says painting racing stripes on a brown banded roach is a story in itself that goes beyond the uh, scope of this lecture. But I can imagine how difficult it would be to paint your little green and blue racing stripes on a tiny roach. The racing culminated with interdorm, interfraternity, and even some intercollegiate roach racing. And for those of you who would like to know what the what the big time of roach racing is, please give me my my uh, sports news, my sports face. Ladies and gentlemen, we're speaking to you now from Circle Side. Kentucky Derby of Roachdom. Thousands of Roach fanciers have gathered from all over the country. They're drinking the traditional Roach racing drink, which is strawberry diet Yoo-Hoo with a pinch of vanilla in it. And they're waiting now for the first parade of the colors as the great Roaches, by a series of eliminations across the country, have finally come to this, the pinnacle of Roach racing. It's Gettysburg College tonight versus the University of Pennsylvania. All of you know that this is the Kentucky Derby, the World Series of Roachdom. And we are bringing you this coast to coast tonight. Of course, all the smart money is on Big Fred. Big Fred, who was found under a sink in dorm number two at Gettysburg. Groomed to perfection by his ace trainer. And now, finally, after a series of stunning upsets, he is now reigning as the favorite in tonight's race. You'd love to see that, wouldn't you? says, incidentally, roaches that didn't win, didn't place, or didn't show, met a classical gladiatorial end. They were squashed forthwith. <laughs> well, I've seen guys do that with horses, in effect. Listen, I, I, I was out at Belmont one day, and I'm not a horse cuckoo, but I was out at Belmont one day, and I want to tell you, at 5 o'clock in the morning, this was when I was doing the Today Show. You know, we did a show once from Belmont, you know, the very crack of dawn. That's the, that's the thing that bothers me about all that uh, racing business. They get up so early. I don't know what it is with the horses. Do they do that? Terrible. Uh, but, uh, you know, the roach is, is, is a gentle animal. In fact, a lady wrote me a, a note, and she said, Mr. Shepard, she says, you say you're urban-oriented, but you'd love life up here in Vermont. We don't have roaches. She says, but the mosquitoes uh, kind of make up for it, but you'd love it up here. What do you mean, madam? I have never been mercilessly attacked by roaches the way I have by mosquitoes. I have been attacked by blue flies, mosquitoes, various types of biting bugs in Vermont. The first time I set myself in that state, there was a great cloud of them came over the next hill, and it looked like a puff of smoke. They knew that a live one had arrived. It still had some blood. And they laid it on me, and uh, at that point, I missed the roaches. You know, the roaches are benign. But that, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, yes, dear, yes, I understand. Got to make a station break. Speaking of ro this is WOR, New York. And I think we have a little of that uh, cheap uh, guitar music, please, if you will. <laughs> yes. You have not seen the roach until you have seen the Portuguese roach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's terrible. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, if you're a kid type and you're thinking of taking a vacation in Europe this year, you better hear this story. 
uh, Portuguese airline, that's the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, TAP, they have introduced a new youth fair. And I wish they'd spell it right. They have it spelled Y-O-U-T, youth fair. Of course, this was a Brooklynite that wrote it. Only $210 round-trip economy airfare, 210 bucks to Portugal. And that's all the way back and all the way there, you know, both ways. And the ticket is good for one year, so you can sit around and you're you-know-what for a whole year on the beaches and still have a good ticket home. Anyone under 26 and over 12 is eligible. And you can just make the scene all over the place because this is where kids from all over Europe, you know, they really do go to Portugal for, you know, the big summertime. Prices are low, the food is great, the, poop, the people move real nice. So call your travel agent, and here's the number, or TAP, at 421-8500. That's 421-8500 for complete information about TAP's $210 youth fare to Portugal. Uh, go with the European kids, go, Portugal. Hey, hey, listen, you mind if I... If I uh, have you ever done something that absolutely makes no to no sense whatsoever, and you have kicked yourself blue afterwards, wondering what the hell you did it for? This is a common. This is this is what starts wars. You know, people think that that logic is what rules the world. It's not. I mean, I have many times in my life done something absolutely. When I, when it's over, I sit down. and I say, "What the hell? <laughs> what you, what you do? What the what?" for you know what would you do that for and I, you know i always listen to this one did you hear what happened in roanoke virginia i just saw that you know when i see the scene it, it yeah there's no way you can write this kind of stuff because when you sit down and invent a character no matter how black the comedy is that you're trying to write you're still only dealing with your imagination which is a poor second uh, to to what really goes on in life as you know and and uh, there would be no way for you to create. Now, how could you, cre if you created a person like this, doing a thing like this, immediately everyone would say, well, now, how come, uh, why did they do it? That's silly. They wouldn't do that. They did. In Roanoke, Virginia, listen carefully now, picture the scene. Mary Gardner's gold dinner ring, which was her most prized possession, floated away almost a week ago. <laughs> Born aloft by a helium-filled green balloon. The $750 ring, complete with 13 diamonds, drifted away in the breeze Saturday from the gardener's home in Roanoke. The ring got on the balloon in the first place, Mrs. Gardner said, and we quote, When I tied it on there like a dumb bunny, I just tied it on, they don't want me to do it, I just tied my ring on there like a dumb bunny, and off it went, she said Wednesday. <laughs> The green balloon was was at the gardener house as part of the decoration for a daughter's birthday. The balloons had become sort of a tradition for her parties, and since the daughter is getting married soon, the gardeners decided to keep the tradition going for one last cutie pie time. As the balloon and the ring floated off, there was a frantic try to get the balloon down. Guys jumping up and down on tables, reaching up, you know, there it goes. So you've seen balloons go up. Guys scream. One guy tried to climb a tree and fell off, you know, and he reached for it, and that was it. And finally, somebody rushed into the house and says, we, we rushed into the house to get a BB gun, but <laughs> they were going to shoot it down. <laughs> but it was too late. Can you imagine her husband sitting there? He's 
just looking around, say, here, here he's surrounded by the birthday cake and everybody else. So what the hell were you doing? Now what the hell were you doing? Now what the hell were you doing? Dramatic moment in a backyard in Roanoke, Virginia. And they will never forget it. Fifty years from now, old Mr. Old, you know, old, old, uh, old Clarence Gardner, you know, is going to be sitting there. And then he'll look up, he'll be drowsing as an old man, you know. He'll be drowsing now. It's 50 years from now. He's going to be pushing 90 at that time, you know. And he'll be drowsing off. And all of a sudden, he'll stay <laughs> in front of the TV set, you know. He's got a box of Fritos in his hand. <laughs> and sitting across over there on the other side of the room in the gloom next to the fern plant will be his wife, Mary Gardner, see, who is in her late 80s. And she's been dozing off with her crocheting in her lap. And poor old Clarence looks up. <laughs> she says, what's the matter, Clarence? You had a bad dream. He looks at her through the gloom of their ancient home. She says, I can't figure out what the hell was in you. I just can't figure out what the hell was in you. Tying it on a balloon. And they sit there quietly, drowsing their life away. That last moment of an Ionesco comedy. Would you please give me a little singing music, please? A little singing music, please. Yes, that's correct. Let's beat out the time of existence, friends, as we march along this vast yellow brick road of God knows what. As we head ever upwards and onwards, as we plunge to the... Hooray, hooray for life. Hooray for existence itself, yes sir. It ain't nothing like vitae <laughs> existence. Life is all boom, boom, boom. Oh, I'm the cheek cheek of yeah. Your love belongs to me. <laughs> At night when you're asleep <laughs> into your tent I'll creep. <laughs> yeah. Well the stars above will shine. With light on the way to love You will be slammed with me Yeah, baby Cause I'm the sheep Of everybody Sometimes, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, you know, that's all right. Oh, don't worry, honey. I know exactly. We've got plenty of time. No sense rushing the. No sense rushing it. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, rushing it here, I'd like to salute a lady here. Uh, did you hear about the lady? Where is it here? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't know how to approach that. I better not. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's some great say. Hey, well, incidentally, uh, for those of you who are... Uh, do you have my tire commercial in there, please? All right, let's get ready here for it. Yeah, I like that. This is a great one. It has bugles. I love bugles. All right, let's hear it. Time the king is coming in to do a general tire commercial. He's having a pre-Fourth of July sale. General is on the famous General Jet White Wall Tire. Attention. Attention, please. Ford, Chevy, and Plymouth owners. Now you can buy the four-ply nylon core General Jet White Wall Tire for only $19.50. Yes, that's for your choice of size 775-14 or 7775-1515 to fit many intermediate and standard cars. Don't miss this fabulous White Wall Tire Sale. The sale offers... Ends July the 1st. That's a general tire with a big red G. That stood for all kinds of stuff for 56 years. Let's see. You see that at uh, Herb Jordan's General Tire of New Jersey. Yes, sir. It's on Route 17 and Union Avenue in East Rutherford. And that's not nearly as exciting as North Rutherford nor West Rutherford. But they do the best they can. East Rutherford. <laughs> I mean, little towns love to name themselves East, West, South, North. Gives us, you know, out over on the east side. Cross the street and stand next to the SO station. You're on the west side then. Then walk down two blocks, you know, and scratch yourself, and you're in South Rutherford. And you can see your friend Jaime standing up there in North Rutherford. He's over there by the post office. Well, you know, I'll tell you, though, I, I, I guess it's because it's uh, it's that time of the year. It's It's June... And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the madness is beginning. And I, I like the feeling of the summer madness setting in. Uh, the summer, you know, the summer madness takes many forms. Like in the New York Times, for example. I, I was looking this weekend at the Times. They had all these summer camps about how you can lose weight and you can gain weight and you can learn how to fly a plane. You can learn how to crochet. It's just uh, spend your summer kids making coffee tables, uh, which will be admired by all your friends and neighbors. And, uh, I, you know, speaking of making coffee tables... I uh, I got a letter here the other day from my mother. I don't know what to say about it. You know, somebody... Uh, I keep getting these letters. In fact, I got a letter the other night uh, from a fan type. You know, he says, uh, Shepard, he said, uh, I hate to admit it, I'm a fan of yours. I said, oh, my God. He said, yes, I am a fan. And he said, uh, who are you a fan of? Well, I, you know, that's hard to answer. And I'm probably the only guy in, in this, this side of the Mississippi, quite possibly. I am a fan of uh, Conway Twitty. And uh, I really am. I'm a fan of Conway Twitty. And every time, uh, you know, Conway Twitty is appearing anyplace, I get all excited and, you know, I want to go down and get him to, to autograph my shoes or something like that or my cast or whatever I've got going at the time. And, and uh, is there anyone out there who is a fan of Conway Twitty? Anybody else? The two of us can form a little fan club. We'll sit down at the chock full of nuts and, and you know... And we will exchange Twittyisms. You know, great things that Conway said lately. And I really am. And, I, and, and I'm very embarrassed about that because I also, in the same mail, got a letter that said, Shepard, you're obviously anti-dog. You're obviously anti-cat. You're really, you know, you're really pretty rotten, actually. My mother's sick every time she listens to you because of the bad stuff you say. And you come on, there's something in your voice that makes our cat get diarrhea, and it's just terrible. And... uh what is it? Uh, you know, what, what, what is it with you? Don't you love uh, your fellow creature? And I, I, I have to admit, yes. 
Yes, I do. Now that you bring that up, uh, I do. And uh, I, I happen to be, uh, well, I'll admit it. I'm a guinea pig cuckoo. Uh, did you hear what I said? I, I dig guinea pigs. I, I, no, I don't know what there is. There's something about a guinea pig. I, I, I just can't explain what a guinea pig does to you. It's like, it's like other esoteric tastes. I mean, I have friends that dig bull whips, some guys that dig maces. I know, oh, yeah, terrible. I know one guy that uh, in England, he goes over every couple of months to England. They have this rack that they put him on, and, and uh, they, they play on the pipes of pan, and he digs that, you know. And then there's, oh, it's just sickening. But I happen to be a guinea pig freak. And there's something about, I don't know what it is, the way the guinea pig looks at you. I'm serious. I'm very serious. A guinea pig has uh, empathy. Now, you know why they use guinea pigs in experiments, don't you? You don't? You don't know that? Well, it's because the guinea pig reacts most like a human being of any other animal around. He gets nervous. He cries. Uh, yeah, he does. He gets, he gets hang-ups. I once knew a guinea pig that had an unbelievable lettuce hang-up. And uh, mainlined the stuff. It was just sickening. And, and uh, yeah, he'd get all slobbery and, and just fall around, roll on the floor at a guinea pig cage when you give him lettuce. And it's just like people. People get hang-ups. Very few horses get an oat hang-up where they yell and holler and eat oats. They, they, they eat, that's it. But a guinea pig gets hang-ups. And uh, are there any other guinea pig fans out there who also like Conway Twitty? I, 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 I'm serious. I'd like to hear from you, and I'd like to, right now, give me a call here, and I'd like to hear what your guinea pig does. Now, you know, there's rumors that guinea pigs don't climb. I saw a guinea pig one time, and this one, uh, this one uh, was named Porter, as a matter of fact. This guinea pig climbed right up a brick wall, straight up a brick wall. Why? Because somebody on the second floor flashed a leaf of lettuce at him. Out of his bird, right up the side of the building, <laughs> and he went the ape for lettuce. Now, uh, are there any other guinea pig cuckoos out there? In fact, I, I have a friend, uh, a kid listens to me. He says, uh, Shepard, he said, uh, my guinea pig, he said, one night you put the horns over the radio. And uh, you remember the horns we put on when we, when we cast an evil spell on everybody out there listening? He says, you know, it was incredible. He said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I've had this guinea pig for six years. And he said, that's pretty old for a guinea pig. And uh, his name was Lewis. And he said, you put the horns on the radio, and within three days, Lewis, my guinea pig Lewis, gave birth to 19 baby guinea pigs. <laughs> he says, Lewis, he said, I don't know whether it was a change of sex or your hex that you put on, but he sure popped out. Now, let's see, before we do any, any more of this sickening stuff here on this quiet evening, I mean, with ladies tying their wedding rings to balloons and, you know, all the rest of it, we better get this commercial out of the way. Do you know baseball fans... Uh, here's a note that says, How would you like to be taken out to the ball game absolutely free? Shoe Town is giving away absolutely free two reserved tickets, that re that's reserved seats, you know, to the June 30th Yankee-Cleveland game. That should be an exciting one. All you have to do to get the tickets is to go to any Shoe Town store and make a purchase. Hey, this is not bad. Make a purchase totaling $8 or more. That's any pair of shoes practically, right? Uh, now... Uh, two reserve seat tickets at Yankee Stadium are worth six bucks, so it's like getting six dollars back from Shoetown. Or like getting six dollars free and all kinds of stuff like that. So you just go down and buy yourself anything totaling eight dollars and more, and you have yourself a pair of tickets to the, re to the Cleveland Yankee game June 30th. That's Shoetown. 
and you get a lot of great shoes. There are over 30 shoe town stores in the suburban New York metropolitan area. So check the white pages of your suburban phone book. And it sounds like there's segregation out there in the suburb. You check the white pages of your suburban phone book and hurry in. The offer ends this Saturday. And it says, say in a low voice, hey, there's a limit. Two tickets per customer. Just low voice. Is that low enough, Mr. Brown? Okay, I got it. Very good. Let's see. Now, we have one more. Hit them quick while they're still quivering. Over the past 32 years, Newsday, the Long Island newspaper, has become one of the great success stories in publishing history. Recently, we started a Sunday edition. And what Newsday has done so well six days a week, we're now doing just as well on Sunday. For example, our coverage of sports. I'm Ed Comerford, sports columnist of Newsday. When we started our Sunday edition, we felt there was an opportunity to do something new and exciting in sports. For example, we doubled the size of our Sunday sports section. This lets us run big action pictures and layouts. It enables us to run more sports news, especially about school sports. And since Newsday isn't trucked out from the city, we can give you late Saturday night results. Saturday is a big day in sports. That's why sports is big in Sunday Newsday. Newsday, Long Island's own Sunday newspaper. No service charge for home delivery. Okay, it's time. You know, it's it's not often that... Uh, you know, let's do a real public service here on this show for a change, huh? You know, everybody's always doing a great big documentaries on TV. Herb, on, on the lion... And on the tiger, and on the elephant, and on the uh, dolphin, and on the porpoise, and on the shark. Nobody has done, as far as I know, a searing, in-depth salute to and a documentary on a guinea pig. <laughs> and he's one of our fellow creatures. And this, uh, Yeah, we got a hello. Yes, kid, hello? Yeah, hi, Steve. Hi, hi, how are you? Fine. Hi, hi, you got a guinea pig? Yeah. What's his name? Sophia. Oh, that's a great name for a guinea pig. What color is he? Uh, brown and white. You like him? Yeah, he's fun. <laughs> what does he do? Yeah, well, he, you should see him climb all over the cage. Yeah, he climbs, huh? All over the place. What, what, is, what does he eat? He, you know, dude, they had the special food for him yeah. at the store. Does... Anything you put in front of him. <laughs> that's a guinea pig, right? Yeah. That's why they call him pig, huh? Yeah. He's cute. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, one thing I want to ask you: How does he stand on lettuce? Uh, not too well. He doesn't eat lettuce. No. Well, you got to. You got the cage. He throws it out of the cage. Yeah. <laughs> how long you had him? Uh, about a year or so. Is he smooth hair or is he curly hair? You know. He's smooth. He's smooth, big and fat, huh? Yeah, real fat. Good old Excelsior. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's hear you holler, at Excelsior. Excelsior! Yeah, Excelsior bottle. Oh, hang in there, kids. So long now. <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, you got a guinea pig, huh? You got a guinea pig named Goldie? His name is Goldie. He eats everything, including you had to take all the wires out of your house. <laughs> he, he, he runs around the house and you he eats your rug, yeah? When you come in the house, unless you talk to him, he squeaks immediately and keeps squeaking until you talk to him. You, you, you talk to him and rub his nose. Name is cool. He has learned to associate the opening of the refrigerator door with scoff. <laughs> Would you say then that the chief interest of the guinea pig's life is eating? Eating and your son, huh? 
<laughs> okay, say hello to Goldie. Is Goldie smooth hair? Smooth hair, good. They're lovely little animals, aren't they? Right, thank you. There's a guinea pig cuckoo. Now there's Goldie. We heard about Excelsior. Uh, Goldie, by the way, uh, insists on any everybody talking to him when you come in. He makes that wild squeak to the guinea pig. You ever heard him do that? They make this wild squeak. And unless you go over and say hello to him, he'll continue to squeak. And after that, he'll say, okay. All right. Uh, hello there. Yeah. Yeah, hello. Hello, kid. Hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. Yeah, hello. Hello, Tess. Yeah, well, well uh, what's the name of your guinea pig? Can I spoke to the radio on? Uh, what's the name of the guinea pig? I'm getting feedback. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to talk about your guinea pig. I, I'm, your sex life is not my problem. Go ahead. Hello? Uh, we lost him. What was all that about? <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> you know, given any three phone calls, out of out of three phone calls, one guy will keep saying, Hello? 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 That was my grandmother. Every time the phone would ring, my grandmother would pick it up and say, Hello? Uh, hello? Hello? I can't hear you, please. Hello? And then finally she'd hang up, and my, my father would say, Well, who was that? Well, I don't know. I couldn't hear him. And, they, they you know, they used to... <laughs> Daryl Zanuck called twice. She got a call from the Pope. But uh, she never never was able to understand it. But uh, now, you see, the, the uh, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm... Uh, if I'm boring you tonight, but uh, I mean, it all started because it all started because of this letter, this this you know guy wrote. So Shepard, you obviously hate animals, but no, I'm a guinea pig freak, and uh, I would like to hear more about the great guinea pigs of our time. Hello. Hi, Shepard. Yeah, yeah. Hi. How are you, kid? Fine. What's the name of your big, your little uh, pig there? I, I I named him Flick. Flick. Yeah. Well, that's a good name for a guinea pig, <laughs> if you knew the real Flick. Yeah. Uh, what color is he? He's all right, but his nose is brown. You like him? Yeah. <laughs> what does he eat? He eats lettuce sometimes. He likes lettuce. I see. Well, now that's two of them that likes lettuce. Yeah, he has a real thing for corned beef. Corned beef? Now, that is a rare guinea pig. Now, most guinea pigs, you know, well, they like pastrami, but corned beef they don't go for much. Uh, he eats corned beef. Uh-huh. And you say his name is Flick. How long you had him? Oh, about two and a half years. Oh, he's a goodie. You, you like him? Yeah, he's great. You get along good with him? Yeah, well, the first few weeks I had him, he used to nibble me a lot. But now he's nice. He's, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, does he squeak? Yeah. When you come in the house, does he yell? Yeah, he licks my face. Oh, uh, what he does? <laughs> what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of a squeak does he make? Very good, very good. That's an excellent guinea pig uh, imitation. Is this a smooth-haired guinea pig or one of those real furry ones? Well, I think he's pretty smooth, yeah. What color you say he was? He's all white, but his nose is brown. All white, his nose is brown, and he eats lettuce. Okay, say hello to Flick for me. Okay, see you, Chef. I mean, did you agree that the world is better off because it has guinea pigs in it? 100%. Absolutely. Thank you. It's long. <laughs> Uh, see, see what the guinea pig does to people? It brings out the poetry in them. Now, I cannot explain this, but uh, the, the, the guinea pig is one of the great undiscovered characters of, of the world. And, and you know, he's, uh, the reason that uh, they use him for experiments is he acts like a lot like people. Did you know that, Herb? I mean, in the laboratory sense. I mean, you know, he can get colds and he gets a lot of the same problems that people get, you know, like a bad temper... He becomes an alcoholic and uh, leaves his wife and does all that stuff, you know. <laughs>
But uh, so so when you uh, the only pet that I had, you know, I, I keep getting letters about pets. The only the only pets that I had when I was a kid, we never had a dog. Uh, we had. Uh, that we had this dog next door named Zero. Well, actually, once we had a dog. He lived with us for about two weeks. His name was Ralph. And, uh, yeah, he was sort of on loan. And he'd lay under the sink there, and he had these dreams. I don't know whether you've ever observed animals having a dream life. You ever notice them? Well, he would lay under the sink, see, and Ralph was a, con- was a very surly Airedale. I've, I got very antipathetic to Airedales through Ralph. And Ralph was very surly. Ralph would, would uh, just glare at people. Once in a while, he'd come out from under the kitchen table, you know, grab somebody's ankle. It's about, <laughs> about all he ever did. And eat. I mean, he loved to eat. But one thing Ralph did, he would lie under the sink once in a while, late at night. So he'd sleep under the sink for some reason. He loved the sink. He would lie under the sink there, and he would start kicking his feet. He's asleep. So he's lying on the side. His feet would start kicking, and he would get a smile on his face. Now, I... I uh, I ordinarily like smiling creatures, but uh, I, I, an Airedale smiling is somewhat grotesque. And he would literally smile. He was enjoying his dream. And my old man one time came out. He was uh, getting a drink in a sink or something in the kitchen. And there's Ralph under there having one of those dreams. And he's kicking around his feet, you know, and he's grinning and he's yelling. And I guess the old man was jealous or something, you know. And uh, so there was a lot of yelling and a set to between he and the uh, Airedale. And the old man says, you get that dog out of this house tomorrow or forget it. I'm not going to have a dog laying around under the sink that dreams dreams like that. Well, I didn't know what he meant at the time, see. And, and as far as I'm concerned at this moment, I do not know, nor have I even the faintest idea of what animals dream about. Have you ever had any, uh, any theories about that in there? What they dream? Does an animal dream of a great female animal? I mean, does, it, does a male Airedale dream of meeting the ultimate female Airedale? In the bushes? Well, now wait a minute. You're thinking he's doing that be- because you would do that if you were an Airedale. But see, you're 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 becoming uh, that's anthropomorphology, which you're applying human attitudes towards Airedales. Or does he dream of of uh, you know eating the ultimate meatloaf? So so you know these the animal world is is compl- to me implausible, largely implausible. My my uh, contacts with animals has been many and varied. Uh, I remember one day riding on a horse. Now, uh, I was trying to impress this girl. And this girl was a fam- you know, famous horse lady. She was, in fact, a steeplechase rider. And uh, I didn't want to admit to her that my only horse riding up to that point had been on several very well-oiled merry-go-rounds that I had ridden on. Now, this is the actual truth. You know how it is when you're trying to make the scene with a chick, you know, and you're trying to impress her, and she was uh, the real... Uh, a society type and the very elegant and all, and she wore she had tailored blue jeans and the whole kind of the whole bit, played the guitar and uh, had uh, had deeply concerned over the starving peoples of Peru and that sort of thing. And so uh, one night <laughs> she suggested we go out riding because I I had told her I sure I ride fine you know. Well, motivation, friends, you listen to you listen to the preacher here. Motivation is what life is about. Well, I was motivated because, oh, I want to tell you, this was a high-octane lady. Whew. Some women can drive you out of your mind. Have you ever had that experience? Just just looking at them. I don't know what it is. It's the possibilities more than the actuality. Do you agree? It's the concept more than the reality. Well, this was, this was the way Chile was. I mean, she was, well, she was packed. Everything was right. And she had a look in the eye. 
And so I was motivated because she was very mysterious, and I couldn't even get near her. You know, one of those kind of things where you just uh, sort of talk politely, but she was driving me up the wall. And so one night, she says, uh, how would you like to go do a little riding tonight? Well, she had just come back from the Maryland Hunt Cup or some jazzy thing like that where she took 18 pounds of silver. I mean, she was jumping gorillas over the jumps. I mean, she was, you know, fantastic. So I says, of course, never thinking that, you know, we would actually do it. I always figured something would come up, like we'd stop at McDonald's on the way there or something, you know, and have a cheeseburger, and I'd, I'd get her talking or get her in the weeds or something before that, see? Well, all I know is the next thing I know is that I am sitting on top of a horse. Now, luckily, I did not know which side to get on. You see, they don't give you those instructions. Horses do not come with little printed instructions on the back. You know, it says, place foot here, raise other foot over here. You see, always enter into this door or else you'll ever get your head kicked off. See, luckily, I stood back. See, I'm a jungle, well, a good jungle creature always waits and looks the situation over. So I watched very carefully. I had heard a rumor that you get on that, there was a one certain side, see. So I'm walking out to the field with this fantastic horse. He was nine feet tall, 20 feet tall. He had, he had, uh, first horse I ever saw, they had chromium teeth. Fantastic horse. So we're walking out to the field, see, and I'm watching very carefully, and I see Chili. She leaped up on the top of that horse like a sylph. You know, what is it, a sylph? Like a, like a breath of eider down. Whoop, she's on the horse, see. Well, I wasn't going to quite make that, see. So I had seen many of Gary Cooper movies, see, you know, Gary Cooper, he spits, writes up his pants. Well, I put my foot on that stirrup. And I don't know how you get, you make a horse stand still when you're doing that. But the horse started to walk sideways. And I'm hopping sideways. <laughs> the horse is walking sideways. We went maybe 30, 40, 50 feet like that. Uh, through a creek, incidentally, sideways and up the bank. And I kept saying to Chili, uh, well, it's all right. You know, I'm just getting the feel of them. <laughs> it's all right. I like to work them out a little bit for her. Well, I finally get up on the top of the thing. I was amazed at how high they are. You know, the, 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 the camera never shows that when, uh, when uh, Gary Cooper's on the top of a horse, how high it is. He's, up, he's really up in the air, see? So I started to get dizzy a little bit, and then that horse took off. He took off after Chili's horse, and he kept looking back at my knee. And his eyeballs are rolling, see? And we're going along, and I couldn't... I, I, that was another thing that surprised me. They have eyeballs the size of, uh, oh, I'd say cantaloupes. A great big eyeball, see, and they kept rolling back at me, and he keep looking at my knee, and I'm galloping like, man, I'm laying flat on him. I figured that's the only way I could do it, because I've seen them races, and I know what you do. You lay down flat, and you raise your behind up in the air like that, see. So we are tearing through the woods. We go sailing over a creek. I'm telling you, we must have jumped 40 feet. It was fantastic. I was airborne. We landed twice, and by the end of the second jump, that horse knew who was in charge. He just turned around and he bit me on the knee. He gave me one hell of a bite and in full run. I had never seen a horse bite somebody running at a full gallop. I gave a holler. I said, my God, he bit me. And she says, well, you just give him the quirt. Give him the, give him the crop. He does that. Well, I didn't have no crop or anything, so I just kicked him in the slats. And we just kept running. Ever since that time, I've had a very close relationship with horses. We ran maybe 18, 14, 22 hours before I got him stopped. And actually, I didn't get him stopped. He just stopped and started to eat somebody's hedge. And so I love guinea pigs. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith on the news. News in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Nine American servicemen have been reported wounded, and at least four North Vietnamese civilians are known dead in communist rocket attacks. Two Allied bases were hit at Da Nang and Phu Bai. 
The United States began phasing out one of its last two remaining combat infantry brigades today in South Vietnam, and that phased-out unit provided the security at the two attack bases. American air attacks continued on the lower portion of North Vietnam. But while Soviet Union President Nikolai Podgorny is in Hanoi, bombing will not pl take place around the North Vietnamese capital. And a Soviet journalist reported from Moscow today that Podgorny's Hanoi visit is to get new peace negotiations started. Victor Lewis, Moscow correspondent for the London Evening News, says that if a ceasefire can be achieved, Soviet observers in Moscow believe that that could lead to new elections in South Vietnam. United States Senator Alan Cranston of California says the Vietnam War will indeed be an issue in the presidential election despite the withdrawal of American ground forces from combat. Speaking tonight in Hartford at the Democratic State Convention, Senator Cranston remarked, if the president and his advisors think he can solve his political problems by getting our ground troops out while carrying on intensified aerial bombardment, they are wrong. Senator Cranston said that each time a B-52 flies a mission, it costs taxpayers $41,000. Each mission by an F-4 fighter bomber costs $8,500. And Cranston then declared, Vietnamization has turned out to mean increased American air and naval activity made more politically palatable by the withdrawal of American ground troops. The United Nations Security Council has called its members for a Monday conference aimed at an international policy to cope with airline hijackings. But Monday is also the time of a threatened shutdown of most airline service as members of the International Federation of Airline Pilots Associations set a 24-hour strike to begin at 2 a.m. on Monday. The walkout call came today at a New York City news conference, and WOR's Mike Whitney was there for this report. Today's announcement follows what the head of the Federation called an unsatisfactory session yesterday with U.N. Secretary General Kurt Waldheim. The pilots want the U.N. to take action to halt hijacking. Federation President Olaf Forsberg was asked what the pilots want done in terms of security. The uh, hijackers or must be stopped on ground. That's uh, very briefly the policy of the Federation. I asked him to elaborate. There are three points, main points in uh, our goals at the moment. The first one is increased airport security. It is not at the moment at the level desired. The measures at the airport, that is to say airport security, should be tight enough to stop the hijackers. The suspension of service begins at 2 a.m. Monday, New York time. Reporting for WOR News, this is Mike Whitney. Transworld Airlines went to court and got a temporary order against any work stoppage by its pilots on Monday. The federal court order is effective at least until Tuesday. And according to a spokesman for United Airlines, leaders of its pilots association say that they will continue to fly despite the strike call. It may have seemed that only submarines were good for quick passage on some metropolitan area roadways late today when the heavy rain stopped traffic with flooded streets and highways. The National Weather Service says the 1.19 inches of rain broke a 1925 record for the date. The West Side Highway and Franklin D. Roosevelt Drive, two regular water catchers, could not cope with all that water and slowed cars to a crawl status for hours. Floods also hit Grand Central Parkway, the Belt, and the Cross Bronx Expressway, among others. 
We'll have more news after this, right now. General Tire is having a pre-Fourth of July sale on the famous General Jet White Wall Tire. Attention Ford, Chevy, and Plymouth owners. Now you can buy the four-ply nylon cord General Jet White Wall Tire for only $19.50. That's for your choice of size 775-14 or 775-15 to fit many intermediate and standard cars. The federal excise tax is 212 or 213 per tire, depending on size. Don't miss this fabulous white wall tire sale, but hurry, the offer ends Saturday, July 1st. And that's a general tire, where the big red G has stood for quality for over 56 years. See Joe Callahan at Nassau Suffolk General Tire Service, 154 Front Street, Hempstead, New York. In Orange, New Jersey, see Ray Geyer at Ray Geyer & Company, 154 Central Avenue. WOR AM Radio News Time, five and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. Once again, the call is out for price controls for meat. New York's Congressman Benjamin Rosenthal urged the Federal Price Commission today to put controls on meat retail prices, and Rosenthal, a Democrat, asked President Nixon to fire Agriculture Secretary Earl Butts because the Secretary wants higher farm prices. The Commission also got a demand for meat price control from New York City Councilman Matthew Troy, who declared, It is inconceivable to me that President Nixon would permit controls on wage increases, but will not permit controls on the price of beef and pork. Councilman Troy then called for a national meeting of all consumer groups in Washington to apply pressure to cut meat prices. And today, Agriculture Secretary Butts reacted to the Environmental Protective Agency ban on DDT usage in agriculture. Butts said the ban probably goes too far. And he remarked to a Republican fundraising luncheon in California, you can't feed 208 million Americans without a substantial input of pesticides and chemicals. A bus accident tonight in Raritan, New Jersey, has claimed the life of a 13-year-old girl. Police identified the victim as Sylvia Santiago of 597 Prospect Avenue in the Bronx, one of the passengers in an orange and black bus line vehicle that skidded off a wet road and hit a tree. An estimated 20 other passengers were injured. Well, Cliff got two and a half years, and Edith drew a two-month suspended sentence, of which she'll actually have to serve, a two-year suspended sentence, of which she'll actually have to serve two months, for their parts in The Big Swindle. The Irvings, who once allegedly told the publishing firm of McGraw-Hill that they had the autobiography of billionaire Howard Hughes for sale, when they really didn't, got their judicial payment in Manhattan Federal Court, after hearing pleas for mercy, Judge John Canella said, the sentence I've arrived at is less than I thought it would be at the outset. Richard Suskind, the researcher on the phony Hughes book, got a New York State court sentence of six months. Most of the $765,000 taken from McGraw-Hill in the bogus autobiography deal has been returned. Sunday is very important for Alabama's Governor George Wallace. That is the scheduled date for surgeons at Holy Cross Hospital in Silver Spring, Maryland to remove the bullet lodged in Governor Wallace's spinal canal. His legs have been paralyzed since he was shot on May 15th at a political rally in Laurel, Maryland. Wallace campaign manager Billy Joe Camp says that if the operation goes well, 
Wallace will attend the Democratic National Convention next month in Miami Beach. More news after this note. This is Mary Helen McPhillips inviting you to join me Saturday evening at 6.30 for Inside New York. Every week we take a close look at some of the issues confronting every resident of New York City. This week we examine security and safety, or the lack of it, and how some neighborhoods are providing their own safety patrols. My guests are Jack Frawley, President of Security Specialist Corporation, and Captain Robert Lures, Commander of the New York City Auxiliary Police Force. You can find out how you can make your community a safer place to live. So join us Saturday at 6.30 for Inside New York. A huge spraying program is underway in Rapid City, South Dakota, to prevent the spread of disease from the severe floods a week ago tomorrow. Health officials say the next threat to the city will come from heavy concentrations of houseflies breeding in sewage-filled pools which could spread hepatitis and salmonella, among other things. The current list of missing persons has been reduced to 667. The official death toll is now 207. WRAM Radio News Time, nine and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. Three young members of the Jewish Defense League were arrested today on charges of carrying out the fatal bombing last January in the Manhattan offices of talent agent Saul Hurok. A secretary died from smoke inhalation. JDL leader Rabbi Mea Kahana denied that his organization had been responsible for the bombing and said that the three suspects were in the Brooklyn JDL office at the time of the attack. Hurok's office handled talent from the Soviet Union. The JDL has long had a protest campaign about alleged mistreatment of Soviet Jews. A judge here in Manhattan has continued the temporary stay against New York City fire officers reporting in sick in heavier-than-usual numbers. The judge said a ruling on whether or not to make the injunction permanent will be handed down in about a week. And officials of Local 1199, Drug and Hospital Workers Union, have been ordered to appear in court on Monday to answer contempt of court charges in connection with the work stoppage earlier this week carried out in defiance of the court order against it. More news after these notes from our WR Community Calendar. The Koshari Indian Dancers of La Junta, Colorado, will give two performances at County Center in White Plains, New York, tomorrow from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. General admission, $2. The event is sponsored by the Rotary Club of the Tarrytowns for the benefit of the youth activities program of the Tarrytowns. The Mattituck Lions Club of Mattituck, Long Island, is holding their annual Long Island Strawberry Festival tomorrow from 12 noon to 5.30 p.m. on the Mattituck High School grounds. Features of the day will include a demonstration of skydiving by the Skydivers Club, the crowning of the Long Island Strawberry Festival Queen, and square dancing. Back to the news. It is really time to start the talking and stop the shooting. So said British Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, William Whitelaw, today, in a broadcast message to both Protestants and Roman Catholics. Whitelaw urged a ceasefire, promised the Protestants there would be no reunification with the Irish Republic without their approval. And to the Catholics of Ulster, Whitelaw said, you will have a square deal. A total of $131,700 in fines was levied today against two corporations and three men for violating Department of Commerce regulations against trading with Rhodesia. United States Attorney Whitney North Seymour said the prosecutions were the first under the Commerce Department and United Nations trade sanctions against that African nation. 
Sports tonight, Roosevelt Raceway. Daily Double, number seven, off-track betting letter G, Michael's Pride, and number four, OTV letter D, Sturgis Hanover. The feature, number two, off-track betting letter B, Pammy Lobel. Baseball tonight in the National League. The Mets got solid pitching from Jerry Kuzman, Danny Frazella, and Tug McGraw, and some late-inning come from behind hitting to edge Cincinnati 2-1, to one. but they were still a half a game out of first place in the Eastern Division because Pittsburgh nosed out San Diego 2-1. to one. Chicago 4, Los Angeles nothing. Montreal 7, Atlanta 4, and in the second inning of a second game of a twinite doubleheader, it is scoreless in the third inning. San Francisco 6, St. Louis 1 in the 7th. Philadelphia and Houston scoreless in the ninth. In the American League, the Yanks and Texas were rained out. They'll